guys, thank you for joining us today on Talking Scripture. Hopefully you've heard that we are now on podcasting apps. You can find Talking Scripture on Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Can you take a minute and just rate and subscribe to our podcast? That will go a long way in helping people find us. This week, Come Follow Me covers four books. We had lots to cover, so we put them together into two shorter podcasts. Be sure to check them both out. One of the podcasts covers Timothy, Timothy, and Titus together in one episode, and then the other one is a separate episode for Philemon. Like I said, they're both short, so please check them both out, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to Talking Scripture. Uh, I'm Mike Day. I'm Bryce Dunford. We're glad to have you here today. This is going to be kind of a short one, isn't it, Bryce? Yeah, but it's a great one. Great message today. So let's just get this out of the way. Uh, Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. I'm going to call it Philemon. I'm going to say Philemon. And there you go. And that's okay. (laughs) So it's just, no, we're not, um, we still love each other. We just, potato, potato. I don't know what else to say. So I'm going to geek out on the Bible, and then Bryce is going to talk about, well, here's how it matters, and here's why Philemon is a good text and why we should read it. First of all, it's short. It's a letter to a guy named Philemon who owned a slave. The slave, however, ran away, and the slave comes to Paul. He's converted to Christ, and Paul sends him back to Philemon in this letter and makes some specific requests uh, to Philemon to treat him good, treat him like a brother. And it's kind of a troubling text at first, especially if you understand a little bit about slavery and a little bit about what's going on culturally. And there's a lot of questions that pop up out of this text, such as, okay, I'm a runaway slave, and why would I go to a friend of my master? So we can unpack some of this. I'm going to talk just a little bit about slavery in the ancient world as opposed to slavery in the American experience and a little bit about Hebrew slavery. So first, there's a, we're going to source this out on the, uh, on the notes to the show. There's a lot of divergent slave laws in the Hebrew Bible. And so we're not going to unpack that, but just know that the Israelites were commanded to do certain things with slaves. And it was permitted, but if you really, and I geek out incredibly on on this, and I may do a podcast totally on the divergent slave laws, and we'll probably get two hits. Two people of the millions of people out there will actually want to read this. And so I'm one of those weirdos. So I break down the different divergent laws and why they're in there, and we'll put that in the show notes for you. And it'll be interesting to see if anybody goes there. So there's that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, in the text of some of these Pauline epistles, or Deutero-Pauline epistles, depending on how you view them, uh, slaves are told to be obedient to their masters. We see this in the household codes of Ephesians and Colossians, but it also picks up in the pastorals in Timothy and Titus. So this isn't going away, like we're going to be talking about this. Uh, what do we do with this? Early Christian uh, thinkers like John Chrysostom, Golden Mouth, John Golden Mouth, in 407 is when he died. So late 4th century, he looked at slavery as arising from sin, and so did Augustine. And Augustine's a big deal in early Christian history. He wrote City of God. He wrote a bunch of articles that basically defined what Christianity is. And both of these uh, brethren had a dim view of slavery, weren't fans of it. So what was, what's going on with Philemon? Well, slavery is happening in Rome. You know, roughly a third of the empire is involved in slavery, and it's not like American slavery. This wasn't a racial distinction. So if Bryce's village attacked my village and we lost the war, then everybody who gets to live becomes slaves to Bryce's kingdom, and they own us. And some slaves were slaves for life. Sometimes they were freed, and this is called manumission in the scholarship. Uh, And 
there's a lot of divergent views on this, but I'm going to throw a couple thoughts at you. This is in the show notes. We're going to put this out there. But a great thinker named uh, Cicero, he's a Roman statesman from 106 to 43 BC, basically said, hey, your Roman slave is only going to be a slave for like six years. It's not a big deal. Like you're in, you're out, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's not a big deal. That's actually not true. And so we get into this. But Cicero had a slave named Tyro or Tyro. And Cicero frees him when he's 49. So and the, this guy was a slave from birth. So, so much for your six-year theory. So some, some people out there will say, hey, slavery wasn't, you know, very long. Well, I think it depends. And the notion is essentially this. If you were a slave and you were working in the household, Bryce, if you had a slave that you worked with every day, you might look at him more like a human. But what, Bryce, would you do if you had a slave who worked in the field and you never interacted with him? I wouldn't think of them the same way. Yeah. They're not part of my household. Yeah. And so those slaves, some of them were slaves for life. And the children were slaves. And like I said, I geek out a lot in the show notes, but just know that this was happening. Um, and the King James translators struggle with this word. The word is doulos, and it's always translated as servant. And the word for servant is huperetes. And it's translated a bunch of times in the Greek New Testament. The word usually is translated as servant. Sometimes it's translated as officers, and we see this word all throughout, about, it's about 20 times in the New Testament. But that word isn't what's going on here. The word is doulos in the different ways that you work it through with the declensions in Greek, and the word is slave. And so I don't think the King James translators like this because they don't like this idea of an apostle um, <laughs> advocating slavery. Like, what do you do with this? And so they translate it as servant, and it's 125 times in the New Testament, and so I don't want to escape it. I want to say, hey, there it is. Slavery was a thing. I'm not a fan. Um, and I don't think Paul was either. I think that we're going to see some of this in here. And we'll navigate this. Um, okay, so authorship. Uh, typically is considered an undisputable, undisputed letter of Paul, like, like a Philemon was written by him. Um, it was written to a, lead, a leader in the church at Coloss, Colossae, if I'm saying that right. And this letter is going to go to uh, Philemon, and it's basically a letter not to the church, but to this individual. Okay, really quick, why would Onesimus have gone to one of his master's friends? Um, there have been some studies that basically say that it was a legally recognized practice for a slave who had incurred his or her master's wrath to flee to one of their friends, a, a trusted associate, to plea for protection. The associate then served as a kind of mediator who would try to smooth out the differences between the slave and the master. And what's fascinating is in these studies, this is kind of how I see Paul acting. Paul's acting in a sense, he's a mediator. And so in one sense, we could view this in a lot of ways. We could, we could be Onesimus in this and we could look at this as an allegory. There's a lot of ways to look at this. Uh, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with a companion Tychicus, and then we don't know what happens to him after that. But the tradition says that probably Onesimus becomes a bishop in um, Ephesus later in, in tradition. Now, is this reality? Is this the same guy? We're not really sure, okay? And so right now, that's kind of what we're looking at with Onesimus. Um, did he later get freed? Does he become a bishop in Ephesus? And it's likely. It's likely that this is the same guy. Okay, now as far as what do we do with slavery? What do we do with, what do we do with um, this notion of Paul telling slaves to be good slaves in the household codes? Uh, this is difficult. And one of the things we can look at 
is this idea of accommodation and presentism. And presentism or presentism is this notion that we view history through our lens and we have expectations that the people back then should be like us. And so we fall into this trap a lot. And so I always, when I'm teaching students, I always talk about presentism and say, okay, this isn't our culture, uh, but how did they view this circumstance? And that helps uh, relax us a little bit and try to realize that, you know, in 2000 years, do you want your descendants to judge you according to what they know? And we wouldn't want that. We would want them to look at us in our time and place. And so presentism, is important. It's important to, to talk about with Philemon with this text. And also culture. Uh, and, I'm, and I talk a lot about this in the show notes, but it's this idea that the seeds of the liberation of, of slaves, the seeds are planted in this book. And what I mean by that is Paul doesn't say we shouldn't have slavery. Paul doesn't come out and say we need to undo the social order. But if you read the text of Philemon, essentially what he's saying is that Onesimus should be treated as an equal. So he says this, verse 15 of Philemon, and there's only one chapter. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever, not now as a doulos, as a slave, or servant as it says in the King James, but above a doulos, above a slave, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou for, or if thou count me therefore a partner, this is Paul talking to Philemon, he says, receive him as myself. This is totally different than receive him as a piece of property. Paul's saying, you look at him like you look at me. And that's, that's a radical, to me, a radical change in the theology, or excuse me, in the ideology of the slave culture. And so Christians sometimes get beat up a little bit by our critics that, uh, you know, Paul sure doesn't sound very Christian. You know, he's advocating a slave to return. But essentially what we have here is the seeds of liberation put in the text. And I see this also as, um, and these household codes are really difficult, um, especially as I've studied American history. You see, in the antebellum South, there were individual preachers who used the household codes or the household rules in Ephesians and Colossians as justification for um, slavery. They just did. That's how they read their Bible. And some folks in the North, some preachers read uh, Philemon radically different. And they read those verses that we just read in verse 15 and 16. And they said, you know what? These are our brothers. And we certainly don't want to enslave our brothers. And so, you know, clearly that's how I'm going to view it, obviously. And then you also have 2 Nephi 26, 33, which says this. I'll flip into it here. 2 Nephi 26, 33. Uh, for none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men, and he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are like unto God, both Jew and Gentile. And so when I read 2 Nephi 26.33, I don't see any racial distinction, cultural distinction. Um, I see us as all being alike unto God. Great. Now, Mike, let's take this text and just talk about a little bit of application. 
Um, I love that Mike geeks out on the New Testament. It's such an insight into the text and getting more out of the text. I want to take it to our own personal level and talk about application. Um, if you'll, to me, the message isn't so much in the text. This is one of those cases where the context is more informative than the content. Um, but let me just point out in verse 10, so Paul's writing to Philemon, who owns Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave. So verse 10, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So clearly Paul loved him. Verse 13, I would have retained him with me. So Paul would love to have kept him. He loved him and would have kept him. And verse 18, we suspect that Onesimus had stolen some money from Philemon and, and left. So he left on bad terms. He'd stolen some money. Paul says in verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. So Paul loved him, wanted to keep him with him, and was willing to pay the debt owed. Why then does he send him back to slavery? That's a good question. Because Paul was willing to pay the debt. He loved him and wanted to keep him. So may I submit, even though this does not come in writing, but may I suggest that Paul is teaching a principle without saying the words. I believe strongly what Paul is teaching is simply this. It is more important to learn to obey than to be free. Now, I'm going to let that digest a little bit, but I think Paul is trying to say, Onesimus hasn't learned a vital lesson. And it is more important to learn to obey than to be free. And the best place to learn obedience is in captivity. Why is that? If you don't learn obedience in captivity, you often lose your freedom when you gain it. We see that a lot in our lives. Let me give you an example. Imagine a teenager who just resists. You know, teenagers often think freedom is more important than obedience. And they value freedom more than they value obedience. You ask a teenager to do their chores or to do a job or to do something around the house, and they'll whine and complain because they want to be with their friends. And they'll say that freedom is more important than obedience. But let's take that to an extreme case. Let's take a teenager who says, all I care about is freedom. And as soon as I turn 18, I'm moving out and never, ever learns obedience. What's likely going to happen to that teenager when they move out of home? They're going to struggle. They can't find a job. They haven't learned to obey. So they're not going to find a job. And when they don't have a job, what are they going to do? They're going to move right back in with mom and dad. They're going to lose the freedom that they valued so much because it is more important to learn to obey than to be free. Those who don't learn to obey when they're captive usually end up losing their freedom when they gain it and then they go right back to captivity and have to learn the lesson to obey. So a teenager who never learned to obey is not going to hold it down a job. They're not going to be a reliable employee. They have not learned important lessons. So now they move back in with mom and dad where they're no longer free. They're back in mom. And finally they say, ooh, there's some lessons I needed to learn. Now they're open to the learning of the lessons. How much better it would have been to have learned those lessons during those days of captivity. 
and I don't, I, I mean, I don't take this to an extreme, but what I often say to teenagers is embrace these days. Embrace the days that you long for freedom but don't have as much freedom because you're a little bit more captive because you now have an opportunity to learn one of the most important life lessons there is. If you will embrace that and learn obedience, I guarantee there's going to come a day where you gain your freedom. But your freedom will mean more to you in that day that you've learned obedience than if you didn't. Embrace your moments of captivity. Paul is sending a slave back to captivity, I think, to learn a lesson he never learned. His freedom is not as important as the lesson of obedience. And so if you and I will just embrace that and say, you know what, in those moments where I'm not as free as I want to be, maybe I'm a teenager living at home, or maybe there's a skill set I haven't developed, and so my freedom is limited. If you'll embrace those moments of captivity and learn freedom, learn obedience, learn diligence, learn self-control, learn obedience... Then when the freedom comes, you will make more of your freedom than you otherwise would. And that's when freedom means the most to us. I love this little lesson, and I've tried to live it in my life. I've tried to recognize those moments where I'm captive, that I have a wonderful opportunity to learn obedience. And then when the freedom comes, I'm better, smarter, more able to embrace the freedom and benefit from it because of the lessons I learned in captivity. So to all the teenagers out there who long to be with their friends instead of babysitting their brothers or their little brother, you know what? I guarantee you will be able to spend as much time with your friends as you possibly want someday. Learn to embrace the situation you're in. I think that's why Paul so often says in the household cold, slaves obey your masters. Learned obedience in the moments of captivity. Otherwise, you're most likely to lose your freedom when you gain it. Of that principle, I testify, it is a very powerful but a harsh reality in life if we will learn to embrace obedience while we're captive, our freedom will be more freeing. That's good. That's excellent. So there you go. Thanks for listening. And hey, we got it. We got it under 20 minutes. That's pretty good. <laughs> the fact that it's a single page chapter. Mike. Yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, thank you once again for listening. And if you really like this and find that uh, some of the things we share are useful to you, share it with your friends on social media. And hopefully uh, this will generate more goodness out on the internet. So with that being said, we're out. We're out. Go learn to obey. Thank you.